Mac Jones is ripped. Matt Patricia is calling plays. The Celtics are title favorites. And The Ringer has a new Boston show. I'm Brian Barrett, host of Off the Pike, the show covering all things Boston sports. I'll have shows multiple times a week covering your favorite teams and with your favorite Ringer and local guests. Plus, maybe Bill will stop by to rant about the Sox. Follow Off the Pike with me, Brian Barrett, now on Spotify. It's The Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100-GAMBLER. Visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. Austin Gill here with Warren Sharp. We're here every single Wednesday. There's a ton of content on this feed, though. You got Mondays with Raheem. Also on Sunday mornings, Raheem drops. Raheem Palmer here at the Ringer drops five bets to make right before the Sunday slate. That's a must-listen podcast. East Coast Bias with JJ John Dostromsky, House, and, and Raheem as well. And then obviously you got Warren here. And we preview Thursday Night Football on Thursdays and College Football with Roger Sherman on Thursdays as well. Where I wanted to start, Warren, before we get into the games, we're going to talk a little Dolphins-Bangles. Bills, Ravens, a lot of good games. Bills, Ravens, and then also the Chiefs at Bucks on Sunday Night Football. I was talking with my podcast co-host on the Ringer NFL feed, Jason Goff. And every single week on Tuesdays, we go over our power rankings at theringer.com. I write those every single week. And we sent out a Twitter, you know, we sent out a graphic on Twitter. They're like, oh my gosh, why are the Miami Dolphins ranked behind the Baltimore Ravens and the Buffalo Bills in your power rankings? I think I came into this. The most overrated stat when actually trying to power rank power rank teams, especially early in the season through the first four, even six, eight weeks, is regular season wins. That's the most overrated stat. We talk a lot of stats on this podcast. The most overrated stat is wins. The Bengals, who are one and two and have looked awful against teams where they've been favored against the Jets without uh, Zach Wilson against the Steelers in week one, are still favored at home over the Miami Dolphins, as good as the Miami Dolphins have been. There are preseason priors that matter when looking at the Dolphins, when looking at the Ravens. There's a reason why if Buffalo played Miami tomorrow in South Beach, I think they'd still be favored by three, two and a half. Like this, wins get so overrated. There's so much volatility in wins. It's randomness, right? With Josh Allen missing that fourth down throw, it's missed kicks, it's bad calls. There's different things that all factor into these slight edges, slight changes, slight volatility in wins. And I think if you're creating power rankings, if you're power ranking teams, especially if you're gambling and trying to apply so um, spread differential, two teams, wins might be the most overrated stat. I said that to Goff. He laughed in my face. Sharp, what's your reaction? I don't disagree. Um, look, power rankings are very difficult to do and to do well because the books have so much experience doing it themselves. Um, and it, this is the toughest market to beat. You use power rankings to beat NFL sides, embedding ATS, and that's one of the most difficult markets to beat year in and year out of all the sports, of all the types of bets that you can have uh, when you're trying to gamble on games. Now, I don't disagree with you at all with regard to the Buffalo Bills and if they came back down to Miami, what would that spread be? Keep this in mind. I think people need to understand this too. Like if the Buffalo Bills came to Miami in November, when the weather's not as it was this past weekend in September, that's going to be a different game as well. So like when we, there's a difference, even when you power rank teams and then you try to take into home field advantage and you try to come up with what your line on the game should be more than ever before, 
And this is where I think we're getting edges from the totals market, why we're consistently able to beat the totals market and why some people are having a little bit of luck on the sides markets as well. Uh, matchups are so vital. What team A does that team B doesn't do well or exceeds at doing that team A struggles at, these are things that matter now more than ever. So it's it's one thing to like rank a team, you know, well, this team is better than that team. But when they get together, the weaknesses of one team, every team's got some weaknesses. How do they match up with the strengths and weaknesses of that other team? And that's really how you're going to ultimately decide if there's enough value to move on a game. But I don't disagree that wins are a very it's one of the more overrated metrics I do agree with. And, and that's why I love to laugh at the people who look at like the Bill Parcellsism of you are what your record says you are, because that gives us such an advantage in the betting market. I love doing it in the off season with the futures marketplace. Well, oh, this team went, you know, had a winning record last year. This team had a losing record. These are things we could take advantage of in the off season all the time. But even during the season, um, it's definitely one of the first places that a lot of the casual people will look and say, well, this team, this team's winning, this team's losing. Uh, this team possibly couldn't couldn't be favored over the losing team and those types of things, or over a winning team. And it's just a fun way, not a fun way, it's a profitable way to take advantage of public perception out there, which is one of the things that we are always going to be trying to fade when we're trying to win money gambling in the NFL. I think the number one reason we bring up wins, especially when you're looking at it from a gambling perspective, is to paint a picture of where public perception is, right? I think when we're going to talk about this Bills-Ravens game, Ravens right now at home, three-point dogs against the Buffalo Bills, if the Bills win that game in Miami, I think that line could be three and a half, four, right? Like public perception has such a big impact on, and, and wins have such a big impact on how where people are betting games. But in terms of the actual, actual strength of the teams, matchups are so much more important. Injuries are so much more important. Point differential, how you're, you know, how you're scoring, how often you're scoring, red zone percentage, all these things. I think that's where... When you're looking at power rankings specifically, wins, I think, can be so overrated. And I think if you want power rankings that are just based on wins, go check out, you know, standings. Go look at the standings. Okay, these are the best teams in the NFL. These are the teams with the most wins in the NFL. Go look at the NFL standings. If you're looking for power rankings, I think you have to go chase who actually has, who on a neutral field has the biggest point differential, right? Or, or the biggest spread differential. I think that's what we're looking for. Which team is going to be favored against every team in the NFL? And then we go down from there. All right, get into these games now. Had to start with that tangent. Miami Dolphins at Cincinnati Bengals. It's Thursday night. Me and Raheem are going to preview it real quickly, look at props and all that stuff when those come out on Thursday, but I wanted to get it with you. It's one of the bigger games of the week, right? Miami Dolphins, Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals, three-and-a-half-point favorites at home. Three-and-a-half-point favorites over the Miami Dolphins. Everyone's screaming at me. Why aren't the Miami Dolphins the number two team in the NFL? They're undefeated. They beat the Bills. They're 3-0 and against the spread. Three-and-a-half-point fa- you know, dogs at, on the road, on a short week, obviously, in Cincinnati against a Bengals team that's one and two. You know, a, a Bengals team that ha- has struggled against poor competition, only this recently against the Jets, actually earned their first win. To use Zach Taylor's language, rip the Band-Aid off, Zach Taylor said in his press conference when they got that win over the Jets on the road last week. Trey Hendrickson looked unblockable. Burrow was handling collapsing pockets. All three of his touchdowns came on pressure dropbacks in that game. He was making plays. This Bengals team looked a lot like what people expected in, in, in going into this season. For the Dolphins, they're going in, obviously, a huge win in the sweltering South Beach weather, 21-19 against the Buffalo Bills, where they ran just 39 offensive plays. Only 39 offensive plays to the Bills, 90. They have a ton of players questionable on the injury report in this game. Like I said, Bengals, three-and-a-half-point uh, three, three favorites at home. The total set at 47. Bengals riding a high after their win over the Jets. And the Dolphins, people are calling them the hottest team in the NFL. How do you see this matchup? Well, I think one thing that people need to understand here is where this line opened on the look-ahead markets. I mean, when we're talking about the look-ahead markets here, let's go back to the summertime. In the summertime, the Cincinnati Bengals were four-point favorites in this game. The summer line was Bengals minus four. Then you have the Dolphins start off 2-0. and You have the Bengals start off 0-2. And the market at that point in the weekly look-ahead, so before last week's game, opened up Bengals minus two. That was a two-point adjustment, but those are two very valuable points shifting all the way through the three. That's like the biggest two point, one of the biggest two-point moves that you could possibly get is moving through the three all the way from four down to two. That's a huge adjustment to take into consideration how the Bengals were looking. 
Then you have the Bengals did what they did. And we still have this line open at some spots at Bengals minus one before the game, uh, immediately after the Sunday games. And obviously, the sharper betting groups and the sharp money came in immediately on the Bengals because that is way too much of an overreaction to what happened in the first two weeks because last week, the the Bengals obviously won and won with ease and the Dolphins barely won. And now you're even continuing to shift it further down to Bengals only laying one point here. We know that home teams have a massive edge. And this is like, um, we don't even need to talk about the X's and O's here, although we will in a second. But this is just one of those spot games. This is one of those games where you've got a Miami Dolphins team. Their defense was on the field, 90 snaps. So that defense is going to be somewhat gassed when they're coming up here on a short week. And then you got the most important position in football, and we don't know if he's going to play or not. You know, Tua, they're on a plane right now, flying right next to the hurricane, and they're coming up earlier than usual because of this hurricane. They weren't supposed to come up th- uh, Wednesday morning, but that's what they're doing. They they didn't know as of yesterday where they were going to practice today. Like, they're on a short week. They're playing on a road. Their quarterback, we thought he might be concussed. It turns out it, if we trust the team, is some sort of a back injury. He's having a lot of instability. Um, we're not sure if he's going to play or not. Like, I mean, God, th- th- this line move is completely warranted to the Miami Dolphins now four-point underdogs, which, by the way, was the exact line that it was in this game before the season started. Um, so, you know, we, get, we let's talk X's and O's now, Austin, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on how this Dolphins defense matches up against the Bengals offense because we know that the Bengals, over the last weeks one and two, were dealing terribly with the pass rush and the offensive line protection and the amount of pressure. And then, sure as shit, we pegged it that the Cincinnati Bengals were going to have success against the Jets because the Jets can't get that pressure. They're not good at forcing uh, uh, pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And so Joe Burrow had a lot of success early in that game. One of the bets that I made was over 12 and a half points in the first half for the Cincinnati Bengals team total because I thought they were going to have success and move the ball efficiently early in this game against a defense that was a massive downgrade over what they had played before. Do you think that at home they are going to have similar success protecting Joe Burrow and being able to get the ball out? Because at the surface level for me, it does not look like this Miami Dolphins defense matches up and does the things that confuse and cause problems for Joe Burrow. They do not play cover two shells, two high safeties. They they like to play man and they like to send pressure. And if Joe Burrow can mm-hmm. get the ball out before that pressure gets home, I think they're going to have success throwing the ball here. What do you think? Yeah, I think you know a lot of people poured praise on Josh Boyer for what he did against the Buffalo Bills um, you know, in, in that game. And I think he forced a lot of third downs. He, he made them kind of inch their way down the football field. That's why they ran 90 plays, right? They forced a lot of third downs, made them convert. Now, the Buffalo Bills had the highest third down conversion percentage of any team in the NFL in week three. And that's a lot of Josh Allen really having success against that Boyer blitz-heavy, man-heavy defense, right? Blitz-heavy, man-heavy defense where his receivers are creating separation. Josh Allen's making plays out of structure and, and, and honestly dominating that game. Josh Allen played a phenomenal game phenomenal game against Josh Boyer. Boyer's not going to change his stripes. He still wants to send people. He still wants to play man coverage with Xavier Howard, Javon Holland, and all that stuff. For the Cincinnati Bengals, I I don't think it's going to be that. I think Burrow can do a lot of the same things that Allen did from an efficiency perspective. He's not as mobile, not all those things, but like he's still been really good against the Blitz this year. And the offensive line, for as much as we've talked about the sacks and all that stuff, Joe Burrow has converted pressure to sacks at the second highest rate in the NFL. The only player that has done more is that is, is Justin Fields. And Fields is that's what has been in his MO since Ohio State. A lot of this pressure is on Burrow. A lot of this pressure is on Burrow trying to be a superhero. He needs to get the ball out fast and get this offense on time and on schedule. That's how you beat this Miami Dolphins defense. On time, on schedule, accurate throws. And the Bills would have beat that Miami Dolphins defense if we had that on that fourth down throw, as I mentioned. Ty Zay McKenzie, you get that ball out on time, accurate, that game is over. For Cincinnati, that needs to be the game plan. How you beat this Josh Boyer defense is you don't panic. Josh Allen, or Joe Burrow, 
has panicked a lot under pressure this year, not specifically against the Blitz. I think he ranks 11th in EPA per dropback against the Blitz. But when there's pressure, he struggled a bit. This past week, though volatile, three touchdowns against pressure dropbacks against the Jets, that's obviously a very volatile stat. Performing well under pressure is difficult. There are only four quarterbacks in the NFL with a positive EPA per dropback when pressured. Quarterbacks aren't good when they're pressured. That's fine. And you're, you, if you're banking on Burrow to be a hero under pressure, you're oftentimes going to lose. What happens here is when you are kept clean, when the Cincinnati Bengals line, offensive line does hold up, are you getting the ball out on time, on schedule, with, with accuracy? I think Burrow can't do that against this Miami Dolphins defense. I'm not saying it's a great matchup for the Cincinnati Bengals. I still think they're going to be able to create pressure. I think Burrow is probably going to you know, face a handful of sacks in this game. But the, the game plan should be that, get the ball out on schedule with accuracy, and you could beat up on this Miami Dolphins defense, and you could put up enough points to cover the three and a half. I, I do think that if I had to tip the scales, I like this Bengals offense versus Miami Dolphins defense. Yeah, I mean, uh, Joe Burrow is one of the most sensitive quarterbacks in the NFL versus two high safeties. Um, and we saw most of the teams the first couple of weeks completely overhaul and adjust their defensive strategy to play more two high shells than they usually do. We saw it with the Pittsburgh Steelers week one, massive adjustment, really jacked up the rate of two high, and the Bengals struggled against it. Then we saw it week two with the Dallas Cowboys, and they did the same. Massive jacking up of the two high shells compared to what they normally run, and the Cincinnati Bengals struggled with it. Last week, the New York Jets don't use two high shells a lot, and they didn't jack it up against Joe Burrow, and they had enough success there. And it seems like the Miami Dolphins are going to fall into that same bucket as the New York Jets did. I don't think they're going to give enough problems for Joe Burrow as long as he can avoid the pressure that the Dolphins bring. We know that prior to last week's game, the Dolphins had the second highest blitz rate, but recorded the second lowest pressure rate of any team in the NFL. Then you had the Buffalo Bills with those offensive linemen out there on the field, 90 snaps trying to pass protect, dropping like flies with heat exhaustion. And it didn't go as well. And Josh Allen was under a lot more heat. I'm just curious if those pass rushers are going to have the gas on a short week on the road to bring the same amount of pressure with the same amount of blitzes and really be able to generate enough to throw Joe Burrow off from being able to pick apart a defense that's not going to play in the two high shells. So I, I completely concur there. Not that I think that this is going to be a massively high scoring affair, but it does appear to me at least that on the surface level, looking at this matchup, I believe that Joe Burrow will be able to get the ball out in time and will be able to have enough success playing at home against this defense to give the Bengals a high enough floor for their offense so that as long as their defense doesn't completely fall apart against this Miami Dolphins offense, and you know if two is out there at less than 100%, or if it happens to be Teddy Bridgewater, who is funny, people were clamoring for, oh, Teddy will take over this job. You know, Teddy, this is, this is Teddy's job. You know, I, I did not understand it at all in the offseason, people clamoring for for Teddy Bridgewater. It made no sense to me. Um, we'll see what he looks like if he does have to play in this spot here. The Bengals themselves are going to need to bring a little bit more heat and pressure on the opposing quarterbacks than they brought the first couple of weeks. But um, I, I see at least the Bengals offense having enough success here to put them in a good position to be able to win this game. The other side of the ball is, is somewhere I want to focus as well. For, you know, for Tua Tungvaloa and this Miami Dolphins offense, I think the book is out on just McDaniel as an electric play caller, highest percentage of play action, higher percentage of pre-snap motion. He's getting the ball downfield. He's he's really leveraging fast, quick, bouncy receivers and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle to the best of his ability. And he's doing it against good defenses. He's doing it at, at a way that I don't think anyone expected out of the gate. And Tua is operating within this offense and, and maximizing so much of what McDaniel is asking him to do. And Tua has not just met expectations, but in a lot of ways exceeded expectations. He's had more success on third down so far this season than any year, three-game stretch in his career. And you look at how confident he's playing the game, how accurate he's throwing the football, and how on time he is. It, it, it's just a different Tua. And is it top 10? Is he a top 12 quarterback? Everyone wants to have the conversation immediately. Oh, is he a top 10 quarterback? I don't, see, I don't see him as a true elevator at the quarterback position, right? I don't think he's elevating Jalen Waddell, Mike McDaniel, Tyreek Hill, an improved offensive line, but he is meeting expectations, and they're winning football games because of that. Defensively for the Bengals, 
they've played well so far this year, right? I, I think they're top 10 in EPA per play allowed, sixth in pressure rate. Trey Hendrickson, those most recently against the Jets, looked absolutely unblockable. I wanted to also give a shout out to Cheeto Wuzier. Outside cornerback for the Cincinnati Bengals. He's been absolutely legit this year. More underrated outside cornerbacks in the NFL. Just 11 receptions on 27 targets for 102 yards through three games. Zero touchdowns and four, four passes defense. He has allowed them to lock up receivers in man coverage when they ask him to. And I think that's been super important for their defense as well. This defense doesn't match up well with the Miami Dolphins. No defense matches up with the Miami Dolphins, right? I think this is the most unique def- offense in the NFL in terms of how it's structured, what they're doing. Like I said, with the play action rates, um, you know, the pre-snap motion, all these fast receivers to get the ball out on time. It's going to be difficult to slow explosive plays against this Dolphins team. They're even having success running the football with Chase Edmonds up front. This is a very good Miami Dolphins offense. Where you win on the other side of the ball, I think we talk about this a lot. When I was working at PFF, how you win these games is you score. You have to score. The Bengals have to score. They have to take on, you know, not necessarily a mismatch, but a a side that I think they have an advantage in the offense to, to beat up on this Miami Dolphins team. It has to be a shootout, I think, for them to win. Defensively, I don't think they have enough to slow down the Miami Dolphins, just like no defense really has enough to slow down the Miami Dolphins. I I, I think this team is one on the offense side of the ball for both sides. Yeah, I, I, I hear you, and I don't necessarily disagree you have to score to win, but I do think that this Dolphins defense, having been on the field for that many snaps and playing on such a short week, I think, if the, I think the Bengals can play some form of keep away and just gas this defense out and not let Mike McDaniel offense get the ball and not let them be able to create as much as they did. I also think that, you know, the accuracy that Tua has and the ability to quickly understand where he's supposed to go with the ball is superior to that of Teddy Bridgewater. And so my concern is if Tua is not 100% or can't go, that that does play a big factor here in the efficiency of this uh, output for this instant, for the uh, Miami Dolphins offense. Um, I love the Dolphins offense. You know, I just like I love the San Francisco 49ers offense. Everything that you said is completely correct. Uh, the creativity, the ability to make a quarterback have a higher ceiling than he otherwise would because he is in this offense um, to elevate their performance. We've seen it with Jimmy G for years. We're seeing it now with Tua. This is why we were all in on the Dolphins futures this offseason um, because we expected something like this. And in some cases, it has met my expectations. But for most people, and it might have met your expectations, like Tua is playing like we hoped that he would and expected him to potentially. But for most people out there, who are doubting him and doubting the ability of this offense to have success with him back there, it has to have exceeded a lot of their expectations. And I think a lot of people were, will probably be shocked at what Tua was able to deliver and, and the efficiency and the excellence that he's put out there. But he has room to improve. Um, he's far from perfect. And I do think that this offense has enough weaponry that they can have some success here. I, I don't know about... A lot of confidence in the run game. I, I think that this is still an offense that is built upon efficient passing, and they have the ability to do that. But I will say, you know, Jalen Waddle had a groin tweak, and I don't think he practiced in full yesterday. I mean, there's just a lot of things about this Dolphins side of the side here on both the offense and the defense that should raise enough questions here that don't give you a lot of confidence in. Let's pretend this game was a Sunday game three weeks from now. Pick any week that you want. I've got a different vibe as to how I think that game's going to go than a game on Thursday after that heat game that the Dolphins played last week uh, and how many snaps they were on the field defensively. It just gives me a totally different vibe for this particular game. I, I do think that now focusing on the total and, and, and the spread here, you know, the Bengals minus three and a half at home is juiced all the way out to minus 120 on Fandle. Bengals still getting money. I think if you're betting plus three and a half, you're getting that like minus 103, minus 105. I, I, I think if you if you are banking on Tua Tungwailoa being still banged up and other players like Jalen Waddle, who's listed as questionable in this game, still banged up, coming off a absolute emotional win in sweltering heat, sweltering humidity, I, I think there is a lot of reason to back the Bengals in this spot at minus three and a half. I think the value might be out of it at minus 120, but still, the Bengals have a really good opportunity to win this football game. And a lot of that is because of the short week for Miami and all, uh, short week for Miami coming off an emotional win and coming out of that sweltering heat with multiple injuries. As for the total, 
I, I think there's more value on the under at, at 47. I, th- I think this Miami Dolphins offense could be fatigued and, and could be, like you said, without their starting quarterback. If you're betting it right now with not knowing if two is going to be in or not, I think there might be still value. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Let's now get to Buffalo Bills at the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens right now are three-point dogs at home against the Buffalo Bills. That total set at 52.5 on FanDuel. The Buffalo Bills are coming off, obviously, the game we talked about a ton, a 21-19 loss to Miami in Week 3. Spencer Brown, this is probably evident of the entire game. Spencer Brown, the right tackle, had to leave the game early for heat exhaustion. Like, this is this was a tough game for Buffalo. And they, they, they ran 90 plays, 90 offensive plays to 39 for Miami. That's almost unheard of. The Ravens, on the other hand, coming off with a big win. Beat 37, um, you know, beat the Patriots 37 to 26. Lamar Jackson continues to to elevate his MVP, you know, uh, candidacy right now. Josh Allen, who's obviously playing in this game, is plus 300 on Fanduel, the favorite to win the league MVP. But Jackson's second at plus 550. And I think this is a two. This is a game between two potential league MVPs. Both teams are two and one, two and one against the spread. Where this is, the, I think this is the game of the week, Warren. I think this is the game of the week between two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I, I think this game is going to be absolutely outstanding. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm hoping that the weather does not cause issues for this game. What's interesting is that, you know, people are suggesting that, oh, well, the weather should help. If, if it is a little windy or if it is a little wet, that should help the Baltimore Ravens. And I agree that it does hurt the Buffalo Bills a little bit more, but I think people are still thinking that this Baltimore Ravens team is a team from like, two, three years ago, because last year's Ravens and this year's Ravens are somewhat similar in that they don't really have a lot of success running the football with their backs. They don't have a lot of success opening up holes with their backs, and they lean more into the past than this team did by far a couple of years ago. So if you're thinking like, oh yeah, the Baltimore Ravens, they're a run first team. They should have a lot of success because the Bills can't run the ball. You might want to recalibrate your thought process because this current version of the Baltimore Ravens is basically the ground attack is Lamar Jackson. And they'll try to run it if the weather's bad enough that they can't throw it. But they are going to be going as far as Lamar's arm will take him. And then when he needs to scramble, what his legs will do. But this team is not running the ball as much, uh, nor is it getting a lot of efficiency out of handing off the football to their running back. So uh, I, I hope we get a clean game because I do want to see what both of these offenses do as they attack these opposing quarterbacks. I am excited by some of the insight that you had. I think you you dropped this on Fox Sports. You wrote a, a really interesting piece that had multiple nuggets in that one about the Buffalo Bills playing efficient football, not explosive football. You want to talk more about that and how the Buffalo Bills, and I think you highlighted Ken Dorsey in that and how Dorsey is you know not calling a lot of early down shots downfield. Like you're seeing this, you're seeing this team play more conservative football but it's not relative to them seeing more too high looks, right? It's not like, oh no, the, everyone, you know, the Buffalo Bills are just seeing so many too high looks that they have to run the football. They can't throw the ball downfield. It's very much, wait a second, 
Dorsey coming in is, is trying to play efficient football, and that's working, right? They're having a very successful offense. They're scoring a lot of points, and you know, you're gaining a lot of yards, but it's just not as explosive. How, what do you think that means for the Buffalo Bills long-term, and how do you think that you know, shows up on Sunday against the Ravens? Yeah, it, it was a fascinating look. I know it's only three weeks into the season, but I wanted to see what his philosophy was and how it potentially differed from Brian Dayball because this was like the best offense in the NFL. And I had my theories entering the season as to what this team would look like. And I wanted to test it against what I've actually seen in these three weeks. And one of my concerns was Sean McDermott might convince him and, and, and twist his arm a little bit to make this team a little bit more of a run first team, not run first, but like lower their passing rate. That hasn't been the case at all. This team is actually through three weeks on early downs, sorry, first half early downs. This team is passing the ball at a 74% clip. That was only 64% last year, 66% the year before. So these two years where this team really took off and obviously made Brian Dayball the guy he is and sent him to coach the New York Giants because of how great this offense was, like this team is actually passing the ball more than Dayball's offenses were. But the big difference was the, the target depth. This team is now the 25th ranked team in target depth in the first half at only 5.5 air yards on these early down plays. So we saw it week one, and I noted it on Twitter during the game. It's like, holy cow, against the Rams this you know Thursday night opener for the NFL season, Josh Allen's chucking the ball way down the field on third downs, but these first and second downs, he's averaging like two air yards on them. And, and, you know, they're having to make all these third down conversions to move the ball and to score explosively. And they were, I think he threw two touchdown passes on third down and it looked like a high flying offense, but all of it was coming on third down that 5.5 yards per attempt on early downs in the first half, as I said, ranks 25th in the NFL. They were number seven, the prior two years at 8.0 and 7.7. Uh, yards per attempt on early downs. They're throwing the ball well short of the sticks. They're, they rank 22nd in the NFL, whereas they rank top five each of the first two years in throwing the ball past the first down marker uh, on early downs in the first half. And this is where the, the the difficulty comes in. And that is this. You will face shorter third downs when you are a more conservative offense like they are right now. So they're having a higher... Uh, pre-snap ability to convert this third down because it's a shorter third down because third downs are so dependent upon how many yards do you have to go. And when you're not throwing the ball as far down the field, you're not winding up in as many second and longs or potentially third and longs. And as a result, they're having a higher success of converting third downs and they're having longer drives as a result of that. And they're able to run more plays per drive because of that, because they're not running into third and long high leverage situations and having to leave the field. However, this team is not bypassing third downs nearly as often, and they're not scoring points at the high output, the high uh, final product because they are controlling the clock more and they're running more plays in that first half at a slower rate. And so This is why it's like puts your brain in a little pretzel, although having written about it, I understand it, but trying to convey it to the listeners, the bottom line is the Bills are on average scoring points at a better rate per drive this year to start games, but they have far fewer drives because they're taking up so much time on these drives and having to convert these third downs, et cetera, that they aren't actually scoring more points in the first half of games. So these first half of games are closer. They've only led in one first half at halftime in one game out of three this year. The past two years, they led every single game at halftime the first three weeks of 2020, the first three weeks of 2021. Their average lead is much higher in those years than it was this year. And as a result, it's easier for them in the second half of games. Think the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Think the, think the Jacksonville Jaguars the last two weeks. These offenses can kind of like take their foot off the gas, rest up a little bit in the fourth quarter because they're up by a large margin. The Bills aren't giving themselves that type of cushion in these games because of how they're playing early on in the games. And as a result, it does wear you out a little bit more. I mean, it's not going to be a Miami Dolphins situation every single week where they're running 90 plays and completely exhausted by the end of the game, but they're doing themselves no favors by not They've got a quarterback who can throw the ball down the field. They've got an offense that can be aggressive. 
why they're choosing to have such a low air yards on early downs and force themselves into more third downs. I'm not quite sure, but it clearly is a strategy for this team. They're they're trying to maximize efficiency and staying on the field as opposed to putting up points in bunches and dealing with the fact that they might have to punt the ball on occasion, uh, but they're going to have success uh, in terms of at the end of the day, scoring more points than your other than your opponent and building leads quickly. So I don't know that it's a losing strategy or a losing philosophy, but it definitely is different than what they were doing. And some people asked in the comments about my article, well, is this something that was just last week? And, and the answer is no, this was every single week this season, this has been the case. My reaction to that is, you know, obviously it's working, right? They have a very successful offense across full games. Is it sustainable? You know, running that many plays per game and, and going through that much exhaustion per game? Hard to say. Is it sustainable to be as successful on third down, right? And I know they have a very low average distance to first down on third downs, and that's a big reason why they're ranking highly in third down conversion percentage. But we know third downs and, and, and conversion can oftentimes be volatile, and but in the same way that deep shots can be volatile, right? And you can miss on deep shots. So I, I do think it's not necessarily a pick your poison, but they're they're trying to identify like lesser volatility. You know, it's it, do we do we take a ton of deep shots, know that we're going to pump more, but hit on some of these explosive plays because our quarterback's a freaking legend? Or do we say, hey, we have the better football team in every way, shape, and form. We have the better, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, if not the best quarterback in the NFL. We are going to go inch by inch, row by row, knowing we could beat you every single play. And they have. Outside of you know a couple against the Miami Dolphins that obviously cost them that game, the third and twenty-two against backup safeties, and obviously the fourth down that missed, where Josh Allen missed a throw that he'll probably never miss in the game, after running eighty plus plays in ninety degrees sweltering heat. So I do think it's a, I think it is a winning strategy. I think it's a winning strategy to reduce the distance on third down. I, 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 I am an advocate of avoiding third downs, and that's through explosive plays. But with the Buffalo Bills and just how talented they are offensively. They, they can afford to be efficient and afford to trickle their way down the field because they are you know, a juggernaut every time they step on. Other side of the ball in this one, Ravens versus Bills, Dolphins. Uh, Ravens versus Bills defense. I, I, I do think that the Bills defense struggled to create pressure against Miami because Tua was getting the ball out quickly. You know, that, that defensive line, we talked about it on this podcast, was super successful going into that game. Had a ton of guys that were creating pressure. In this one, they weren't able to create a ton of pressure against that Miami Dolphins offensive line. Tua Tungvaluwa averaged 2.45 seconds average time to throw, which is eighth fastest on the week. It was also such a low-volume passing game, right? 39 offensive plays total for Miami. I, I, I am of the opinion that this Buffalo Bills defense is going to be able to create pressure against the Baltimore Ravens. The difference is Lamar Jackson's a cheat code, and he has afforded the Baltimore Ravens so much margin for error because of how he's been able to handle pressure, how he's been able to run the football this year so effortlessly, right? And I think it's not at the same levels as Cliff, you know, Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, where Murray is creating all of the offense, but Lamar Jackson is doing so much when plays break down in this Baltimore Ravens offense. He's he's scrambling for first downs. He's he's um you know you know strength you know lengthening the time to throw to get the ball downfield. And other people have risen to the occasion. Devin Devin Duvernay, the receiver is playing a lot better. Rashad Bateman in his second year looks spry, athletic, creating separation. Mark Andrews, one of the more valuable tight ends in the NFL. But so much of this offense is Lamar isn't is it is a cheat code. So, so much of this offense is Lamar is not going to be beat with simplicity. You're going to need to send everybody and, and, um, and really try and corral at the quarterback. And he's been so much better against the blitz, right? Lamar Jackson, you wrote something about this too, where Lamar Jackson's handling the blitz so much more effectively. Why do you think that is? And how do you think that holds up against Buffalo here? It definitely is something that they had to have worked on, right? Like th this team, there was a time when Lamar was not nearly as good against the Blitz as he is right now. And obviously, it's only a three-week sample size. Um, and I love the, you know, well, three weeks, three weeks, like drawing conclusions off of three weeks. Well, what do you what do you want us to do? Draw conclusions off of like eight weeks when they've only played three? I mean, uh, that's what I love about the NFL. Um, I don't know how you feel about Austin, but I thrive yeah. on the fact that it is small samples because I feel like I can understand and project the data from these small samples better than like the casual fan who's trying to just understand the game and they're not digging as deep into some of this stuff. And like, as long as you're accounting for who you've played well enough, like I think that there are conclusions that can be drawn out of these smaller samples. And look, I'm, I'm sorry, it is what it is. Like the NFL is not changing, right? We're not going to like 82 games or whatever baseball is right now. Like we are going to deal with small samples forever in the NFL. So you either are going to be able to 
work around that or you're going to just struggle to do so and, and and have issues and complain about it and not really be able to draw meaningful conclusions. But um, Lamar is absolutely thriving against the blitz right now. And, you know, last week he was 11 at 12 with four touchdowns and almost one EPA per pass attempt. Um, it was ridiculous. So he's the best quarterback in the NFL right now, and he's on pace to be outstanding. I'll just leave it at that. He, he So far in these three weeks, he's doing what many quarterbacks have not done uh, over the last decade. Here's the interesting rub, though, um, Austin, and that is that what do the Bills like to do defensively from a schematic perspective? They have the highest pressure rate in the NFL on early downs in the first three quarters at 42% of opposing dropbacks are under pressure. Wow. Yet they are blitzing at the lowest rate of any team in the NFL at just 3.8%. So they are getting the most pressure without blitzing at all, right? Like one out of three out of a hundred dropbacks are they actually sending pressure and they're recording pressure at a 42% clip. So this yeah. is unlike any of the defenses that Baltimore has faced so far on the season in terms of what they may be able to do to disrupt this pass game. And we, what did we just say? How great Lamar is playing this year against the Blitz. Well, they're not going to be blitzing. Like th This is not something they're suddenly going to do. They're not going to be bringing that pressure. And then the other thing that they're going to do that will look very different from what new, new, the New England Patriots did last week is they play, they live in these two high shells. They run the second highest rate on the season of two high shells in the first three quarters of games. The second highest rate, they're using it at like a 66% rate. The New England Patriots are the team that uses two high shells the least of any team in the NFL. They run it at like 17.9% of uh, plays in the first three quarters of games. So, you know, Lamar Jackson is going to be facing a defense now who's not going to send pressure and is going to sit back and sorry, is not going to blitz, is going to sit back, but still get a lot of pressure. That to me sounds like a very different vibe for what Lamar is going to have to deal with. And I can't wait to watch and see how well he performs against it because it's going to be very different than what he faced last week against the New England Patriots. Um, and I'm, I'm just curious to see how he's going to look because like we mentioned, this team is not great uh, running the football with their backs. Everything that this offense has had to do has come on Lamar's shoulders. It's going to be fun to see them. And we had a lot of questions last week about this Bills secondary with all the injuries. And I still predict, right, they're still without Tredavious White for at least one more week, right, because he can't come back until week five. Micah Hyde is out for the full season. And the cornerback filling in for Tredavious White, who was backboarded off the field two Mondays ago, like, I, I don't think he's going to play in this game, though I don't know for sure. That's just speculation, but I would be shocked if he did. So even if they get Jordan Poyer back, which I would hope for the Bills' sake that he will be back for this game, but that's still to be determined. Um, this, this is still a weaker secondary, much weaker than what it was supposed to be entering the season. But, um, you know, they still did. They still played the defense exactly last week as they did in prior weeks, which is sitting back in this cover two look and not really blitzing much. And so that's what Lamar is definitely going to be facing this Sunday. And I think if you, I mean, I think every quarterback struggles against defenses that can create pressure without blitzing, right? When you have yeah. more people back and you have too high, too, too high looks. And I don't think that's a specific problem to Lamar. I think the Buffalo Bills defense, guess what? It's just freaking good, right? They can create pressure up front and they can play coverage on the back end without having to send extra guys. And that's even without you know, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, seeing if Poyer can come back healthy for this game. That, to me, it is just going to continue to wrap the superhero cape around Lamar, right? You, you, you mentioned that the offense has been all Lamar. All 12 touchdowns have been either Lamar running the football or passing the football, like for the Baltimore Ravens so far this season. Like, he is the offense. He, he's played well under pressure this year, and he's done a lot with pressure dropback specifically on third down. He's created a lot of offense with his legs out of structure. But still... If he's getting pressure against this Buffalo Bills defense without blitzing and he's having to throw into you know heavy coverage looks, it's just going to be a very difficult game for him. And I think that's a big reason why the Buffalo Bills are still favored in this game, despite going to Baltimore, right? I think they're three-point favorites right now. Total still set at 52 and a half. If I had a yeah, lead Yeah, I want to add, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Uh, go ahead. I want to just add one last thing on that topic before we change it. And that is that 
the defenses that Lamar has played this year are very similar to like the Patriots last week. I mean, the Dolphins, we already talked about the Dolphins, don't really play many too high coverages. Uh, and the Jets, nor do they. And so Lamar really hasn't faced this style of defense that plays too high at a ridiculously absurd rate at all this season. He's faced a lot of defenses that love to blitz and don't sit back in these too high shell looks. So should be interesting. I, I can't wait for this game. It's going to be the game of the week. Buffalo Bills at Baltimore Ravens. If I had a lean here, I do like the Bills at minus three before the hook. I know it's on the road. I know Lamar Jackson has been freakish this year, but I do think when you go back to our conversation around the Buffalo Bills offense and its efficiency, I think that's more sustainable than you know than Lamar Jackson going into this game and being a superhero, right? Against a very good defense, even though it is injury plagued. I think the Buffalo Bills have the edge. If I'm betting this game, I don't have a strong lean, a heavy lean, but I, if I am betting this game, I do like the Bills at minus three. All right, last but not least, real quickly here, Sunday night football, Kansas City Chiefs at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I saw this line open around two and a half. The Bucs being two and a half point dogs at home. It's now down to one and a half. Some money going on the Bucs. Total set at 45 and a half. We went on this podcast last week and talked so much about Gus Bradley wanting to play cover three, wanting to play man. It's a defense that Patrick Mahomes has ripped up his entire life. And guess what? Gus Bradley changed his stripes a little bit. He only covered, yeah. co- he only called cover three 29% of the time against KC. You call a lot more quarters, a lot more cover one. And I'm not saying that's the entire reason why the Chiefs offense didn't look like the super Chiefs offense it often does against Gus Bradley and in a dome. I, I think some of this was play calling. Some of this was some conservatism at the end of the half. We saw that arguing match between the enemy and Patrick Mahomes. The insane fourth down punt, fake punt call by Andy Reid that he said he wished he had back. There was a lot of randomness, flukiness in this game that contributed to the Kansas City Chiefs losing to the Indianapolis Colts and now going into this game at 2-1. and one. I, I am still betting uh, on this Kansas City Chiefs offense. I'm still betting on Patrick Mahomes. They were favored by five and a half in that Colts game for a reason. I think that was a fluky loss that if it played 100 times, the Chiefs win 90, 80 plus. As for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, also going to this game at two, um, uh, two and one, just lost to the Green Bay Packers. Their offensive struggles have been more consistent, right? They have not been able to run the football. They've really struggled to get the ball over the middle of the field. Tom Brady is more of a meme than a talent. He's been more meme on the internet than he has been, you know, praised for his play on the football field. They're really unhealthy. No Julio Jones last week. No Mike Evans due to a suspension. No Chris Godwin. No Rob Gronkowski. He's still retired. There's a lot of reasons to think that this Buccaneers offense isn't going to be all that great this year. And then when you look at the strength of this Bucs team, defense, best defense in the NFL, playing absolutely lights out. Jamel Dean, Carlton Davis, people with great pressure up front. It is banana land. Still volatile, right? Defense is volatile in the NFL. It's very difficult to consistently play at a high level through injuries with all how many people have to do their job, how many people have to do their assignment for big plays not to happen. I worry about this Bucs team a bit long-term and going up against Kansas City Chiefs, if they can't get into a shootout with Mahomes and this Bucs team does allow the occasional big play, I, I think it's going to be concerning. I, I, I worry about this Bucs team specifically on offense. What's your read on this game? I bet the under here, and I'm still surprised that it's sitting at 45 and a half. We obviously took a better number than this, but I mean, I I just, this is the most difficult defense that the Kansas City Chiefs will have gone up against on the season. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, rank as the, what is it? The It's a top five defense. They're number two overall, number one against the pass. Um, I get that they faced Jameis Winston in week two, and he wasn't at 100%. Um, Last week, they played the Green Bay Packers and they made they they had some busts early on that I felt were communication errors being on the under in that game myself last week. And obviously at the end, it, it, it cleared with ease. But I had some concerns with the way the Packers were moving the ball early. And every single time you had like two Tampa Bay defenders like staring at each other and pointing at each other after they allowed a play. And there was some communication and positional errors, in my opinion, that were happening at the beginning of the game that Todd Bowles really straightened out down the stretch and fixed. And so this defense played significantly better later on in that football game. Um, But the Chiefs offense, like they had that explosion against the Arizona Cardinals who have the second worst defense in the NFL. After that, I mean... 27 points against the Chargers defense, which ranks 15th, 17 points. And you mentioned it should have been more than 17 points. I get it, but not a high output against the Colts defense, which ranked 13th. And like you said, great idea by Gus Bradley to change his stripes. We weren't 
positive that that was going to happen. I thought it was unlikely to happen. I was obviously wrong. I was happy it did because I was on the under in that game with strong opposition to the over. And it was a dead nut under at the end of the day. Uh, but I just think that the, the Chiefs here, this offense, is going to run into some problems against this Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. And, and I think that the, the opposite side of the ball is true as well. I think this Kansas City Chiefs defense is a little bit underrated. And uh, one of the things that they've shown really well against is their ability to slow down opposing rushing attacks. And what do we know that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have been this season? They've been a more of a run-oriented team. I was a little surprised last week at the rate of which they passed the football um, because that was atypical from what they had been the prior couple of weeks on the season. Um, but it was all this short stuff, get it out, not nothing explosive down the field, no big chunks that they were gaining uh, because of that offensive line. So they basically tried to substitute a run game for that. Um, Leonard Fournette didn't get as many carries, didn't have as much uh, as efficiency against the NFL's worst run defense of the Green Bay Packers. They were able to slow down the Buccaneers rushing attack enough to make Tom Brady want to dink and dunk the football down the field. Um, you know, this is Super Bowl revenge from a couple of years ago. And I think that this is going to be a great game on Sunday Night Football. But I absolutely do not expect to be a, it to be a high-flying game. And much like we saw, you know, people were just absolutely shocked to see you know, how could Aaron Rodgers against Tom Brady have a total that's down at 42 points. This is insane. There's like, these are the best, some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. There's no way a total could be this low. And then neither team is clearing 14 points, right? Like, I'm not saying we're going to see that same type of offensive output here, but people are like, oh, Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady. This is going to be a show. What was that total in the Super Bowl? We got to go over this at 45, 45 and a half. And, and I think the complete opposite is true here. I'm looking for a lower scoring game, just like, we saw to some extent on the Packers game uh, last week against the Bucs. I don't have a heavy lean on the spread at one and a half bucks at one and a half point dogs, but I do love the under in this game. And I think, and, I, and if I had to bet aside, it's the Chiefs because I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be able to slow offenses down as they did against the Green Bay Packers. And I think the Chiefs have a much better offense than the Green Bay Packers, but I still think it's going to be slowed down because the defense is so damn good. The issue is, is in these close games, I think it's the better offense that will prevail. It's the better offense that's going to be able to pull this out. And I think that's why I do think that the Chiefs ultimately win this game in a low-scoring affair. That's going to do it for this episode of the Ringer Gambling Show. Make sure to tune in to the rest of the feed as we continue to preview every single bet we possibly can throughout the Sunday season. Um, big shout-out to our producer, Mike Wargon, And obviously, uh, until next time, fellas, Austin Gale, Warren Sharp, the Ringer Gambling Show.